for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I'm John Gay. Throughout the history of the radio station, we have seen hundreds, maybe even thousands of alumni. And there are a select few, maybe a few dozen, that really, without their guidance and leadership, the station may not be alive today. Now, our guest today is way too modest to say that himself, but his 2022 election into the WJPZ Hall of Fame will say that for him. He'll be inducted at this year's banquet in 2023. And a quick disclosure before we get started, he is a classmate and one of my closest friends. We've stood up in each other's weddings even. Welcome, Matt Del Signor. This is so weird for me because we are such good friends <laughs> and we have told, I mean, countless thousands of hours of WJPZ stories over the years. So now to be kind of sitting down and doing it in a formal way, I mean, I don't know how we're going to keep this to a time that's manageable, but we'll do our best. You and I have had phone calls that have lasted four or five times the length of this podcast. Yes. But the beauty is all the stories and inside jokes that aren't appropriate for the podcast, we can leave out. So that'll cut some time out of it. Okay. Let me know. No lawsuits. <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning, Matt. You're somewhat local and you grew up outside Watertown, New York in Sackett's Harbor, about an hour or so north of Syracuse. You've always been a music guy since even before your time at SU. How did you first get into music and become so passionate about it? You know, Z89 was kind of a part of that because I discovered the station as a teenager. My parents had season tickets uh, to the SU football games. And what I noticed was, that was probably 12, 13, 14 at the time, there were a lot of folks who were at the tailgate or on the shuttle bus and, of course, at the dome itself wearing headphones during the game. And I thought, well, what's that all about? And, you know, my dad explained that they were listening to the game, they were listening to the call of the game on WSYR uh, live, mm -hmm. I thought, well, that's pretty cool, but I won't listen to some music while I'm a hater <laughs> guy. I'm just wired that way. <laughs> so, you know, Syracuse, to me, coming from Watertown, New York, Market 260, whatever, you know, Syracuse was kind of the big city in a way. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the wide variety of choices that I, that I had um, listening to my little Walkman while watching the football games. So, I'm flipping through the dial and I end up on the low end of the dial. And all of a sudden I find this radio station that's playing the music that I know and I love. And it's not always the stuff that I can get in my hometown market too. It's, it's, it's the R&B and hip hop and dance stuff that I was really starting to enjoy at, at that point uh, and still do. Um, those were the days when, you know, Dion was programming the station. So this was my lane. Mm -hmm. I fell in love with the station at that point having no idea what the commercial or non-commercial end of the dial was and making no distinction and having no thought that this could be a student-run radio station. And I didn't discover that until I visited SU my senior year of high school. And the station was kind of out and about, I, I believe, at an event. And I realized, wait, there are students running this thing? Could I be part of this? Wow. That was kind of the, the, the turning point for me. And I, I was already all in on, on Syracuse to begin with. So to have the opportunity to maybe even work this station playing this music that I love, come on, it couldn't have gotten any better. So when we got there, Matt, in the fall of 1998, there was probably a smaller staff because the station had just flipped back to Z89 from the Pulse. Uh, Harry Waring and Dean Jacoby were in charge. 
And what was really interesting, and we're going to talk to them about this in a future episode, but they kind of latched on to this huge incoming class, our class, the class of 2002 as freshmen, and saw that, hey, if we want to keep this station going, we're going to tap into the resource of this large group and see who's good at what. Now, I didn't join the station until I think it was October, November. You were, of course, there from the jump. Talk to me about what that was like with Harry and Dina sort of reaching out to you and your classmates and saying, okay, we're going to put you guys in some power positions and some leadership positions to learn this thing pretty quickly. They gave us a lot of responsibility very quickly. And as newcomers to the station, that was not intimidating, but you know, it was exciting to be given so much responsibility so early on. And it really made you feel special. It made you feel important. And it made you invested in the station, most of all. And, you know, Harry and Dina, they knew what had to be done. And they were all over the place uh, for recruitments. I, I went back last night in preparation for this conversation. Always a professional. Look at you prepping. I found my handwritten notes from my GM interview uh, before the JPZ Board of Directors. And one of the things that I noted was, you know, going back through my, my long history at the station at that point, which was you know, a matter of months, <laughs> I mentioned how I heard about the station and the recruitment, the official recruitment through a flyer that was posted somewhere on campus. It was as simple as that. Harry and the others were also going to Newhouse and, and speaking to, to the students there. And, you know, you're right. Basically, they figured out very quickly, you know, who among us had which skill sets and which passions for the business. And so some of us were more into, I think, our jobs than others, but everyone kind of grew into them. And we became invested in the station, invested in each other. We all wanted to do right by Z89 and, you know, not let anybody down because, you know, Harry in particular put so much into the station. I mean, he was there at yeah. all hours of the day. So he was kind of our example. And it seemed like nothing else on earth mattered hmm. as much as the radio station. And I know that certainly became true for me, too. Right. We were there all hours doing all kinds of work, and yet they gave us all jobs to do, made us feel important, made us feel valued. And in return, we gave that back to the station and to our peers. A great example of leadership. You're actually transitioning into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, Matt, which is you became general manager and program director just before your 19th birthday. So tell me how the conversation went where they thought you might be a great candidate to take over the reins of this then 25-ish year old institution and to put it in your hands. How did they approach you about this? Well, interest of full disclosure, there were no other candidates, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, and, and they, so they, they knew that I was relatively local, uh, living an hour away. I, I had no plans to stay in Syracuse that summer as, as I was only 18, about to turn 19. Uh, heading into my sophomore year. Now, back then, elections were done in the spring, and the idea was that the outgoing staff would have a few weeks before they graduated to kind of show you the ropes and really make sure that you were in good shape so that during the summer, and then when everybody got back in the fall, you'd be ready to hit the ground running, and then you'd have a nice long stretch where, you know, you were in control and kind of doing your own thing. So Harry and I had a conversation I'm pretty sure it was a Sunday afternoon. I think he was doing a shift. Probably somebody didn't show. <laughs> so he was doing a Sunday afternoon show and he invited me into the station to have a conversation. And he didn't say what it was about specifically. I had a feeling that it was going to be about some kind of leadership role, but I didn't know how far he wanted to go with it. 
keep in mind, at the time, Harry was the GM and the PD. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were two pretty large hats that weren't normally worn by the same person. But the station was short-staffed back then, so, so he took on both those roles. And, you know, he asked me if I was interested in doing something similar. And it was... It was a lot. I didn't feel like a lot in the moment for during most of the moments anyway. <laughs> um, and because and that's all I ever knew. I was like, well, Harry is the GM of the PD. So why, why can't I do that? I would not have recommended that going forward. I, I don't, I don't <laughs> think any, I don't think anybody has done that since, at least not for a long stretch of time. And it's better that way too, I, I believe. But anyway, so he came to me and said, you know, listen, I, I think you can do this. And I kind of came from it. I thought about it as, okay, I'm being called to do something for my, for my community. Like Z89 was family for me and these, these were my people. Yeah. And I thought about the example that my family had set because, you know, I had, I had a grandfather who was a county lawmaker. My dad was on the school board. I had a grandmother who was an election worker. You know, she volunteered every year at the polling places. My mom plays the organ at church and still does for the past 50 plus years for not a single dime and she's there every single Sunday. So I had good examples of what it looks like to be there for your people. Okay. And this felt like a chance for me to, to be there for, for my people who had already given me so much. I mean, I, I loved every second of being at the radio station. I'd already started to learn about the industry. So this felt like the right time and the right place to step up in that way. As you look back in your time as GM and PD, Matt, what significant events and or challenges stick out most in your memory? Part of it was just filling every shift. Yeah. And that, that was a pain that, that you felt as you became, uh, was it, senior announcer, eventually ops manager. Yep. Senior announcer, chief announcer, and, v- and yeah, ops manager. Yep. Mm-hmm. I remember those 4 a.m. phone calls. Guess who somebody didn't show? Guess I'm getting dressed. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other part that was hard during that time was the finances. Yeah. The station was staying afloat. You know, we, we were staying in the black because we were selling enough sponsorships to, you know, pay our bills month to month, sometimes barely, but we did it. Right. The challenge was we were buried under this heap of debt, tens of thousands of dollars that had been incurred in legal fees from things like receivership and fights over the license itself. These things predated you and I, yeah. but we inherited the burdens that came from those battles, basically. So it was hard for the station to get ahead financially at that time when we were just trying to keep our head above water. We were literally paying rent to the university. You know, we, we were still fully independent. Right. So that space that we had in what was then Watson Theater, we paid rent to the university every single month. And you know, Harry always told me that if nothing else, pay the rent. Right. Anything, anything else, if you're behind a month or two, you know, that will eventually work itself out. The revenue will cycle in eventually. Just make sure you pay the rent on time so that you have a roof over your head, literally. And the university that, you know, kind of leaves you alone, basically. Mm -hmm. So that was priority one. But that was a big challenge for us was the finances. And we didn't get a chance to really, I think, thrive in the way that the station could have. And eventually did once the funding situation that changed in the early 2000s. Right. And I think that speaks to just the changes in the industry. Hot 107.9 had come on. They were another threat uh, to pull ad dollars potentially away from the radio station. The industry had changed, started changing in the mid-90s, and it was not as easy to make money at that point as it was in you know the late 80s, early 90s, and you know some of those days. So 
we eventually had to go back to uh, the university for funding, which is something that'll come up in future episodes, I'm sure. What are some fond memories that you have either from your time as GM and PD or even thereafter from the radio station? Part of it was just the day-to-day interactions of seeing my friends yeah. walking into that often dingy uh, space <laughs> and working hard together to, you know, make magic on the radio every day. I mean, before I got to the station, I thought, well, radio must be some some shiny, glamorous thing because it, it, <laughs> it's, it's so, it sounds so cool on the air. It sounds so exciting. Uh, Z89 in particular for a student station sounded so polished. Right. Then I walked into the joint and I was like, no, wait a minute. <laughs> this is... <laughs> but it was just all of us grinding it out together every single day. And there were a lot of big personalities in those rooms. Um, and part of the joy for me was just kind of sitting back and like, watching it all happen. You know, I, I, I was not one of those, I feel like. So I, I was more of an observer. And that for me was entertainment and fun all by itself. So the way that we were able to, you know, create promotions out of nothing and the way we were able to get even music on the air, you know, I had relationships with record labels back then. We were able to get service from some better than others. We have to get get creative when it came to getting certain stuff on the air. Um, The equipment challenges that we faced back then, which again, you were very familiar with, you know, just kind of surviving all of that, um, I think forges a really strong bond. And that's something that, that I think carries through it for all of us, uh, certainly to this day. I mean, Strong Bond, you live with a couple of classmates that worked at the, at the radio station. I did. A couple of my closest friends, Jana Fiorello, Beth Cohen. Uh, we lived in, in a house on Ostrom, uh, this bright yellow house that we nicknamed the Bat Cave because one summer when I was when I was staying over, I, I was doing a little, little bit of stuff for JPZ that summer along with an internship at what was then Citadel, uh, now the Cumulus Cluster. And... I awoke, <laughs> this was not the smartest thing, but I, I, I awoke from a nap one evening to a bat flying over my head in the, <laughs> in the living room. I should have gotten a rabies shot, quite honestly, but I was so, was so thrown by the whole thing, you know, because they, they say that they'll, they'll get you even if, when you don't know it. But that aside, I think after 24 years, you're in the clear on that one. I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. But I lived with Beth and Jana and they, they were at my wedding. You were at my wedding. Our friend Josh Wolf was in my wedding and your wedding. Our friend Stephen Kurtz uh, DJed my wedding and yours. <laughs> so, you know, these bonds are are so deep and are, and are so important to me all these years later. You were somebody that I learned a lot from at the station when it came to both your music acumen and your leadership acumen. And you will, you'll remember probably not as fondly as I do, but I would always needle you because you were more of a hip hop guy and I was more of a rock guy. And you knew the station's direction needed to be a little bit more ryth- rhythmic, which... If if I go back and talk to 19-year-old Jag, I would say, uh, listen to Matt, he knows what he's talking about when it comes to music. So I would always needle you on that, but you also knew that I was trying to get a reaction out of you, and it speaks to your leadership skills that you would never give me that reaction, <laughs> which, which you know, you would never lose your cool. Well, I, I knew where it was coming from, you know. Yeah. It was all good-natured fun, and I also felt pretty confident in what I was doing, too. I think that if it was somebody who was wavering in, the, in their beliefs on where the station was going, that might have bothered them more. But I felt pretty good about where the station was at. At the time, and this is still true of Syracuse, there are three CHRs in that market. Right. And at our time, there was, there was a fourth uh, station, an urban station, and it, it was kind of a spectrum. Mm-hmm. You had 93Q on the, on the most adult side, Hot 179, 
uh, leaning younger, more rhythmic, and really a lot more than most stations in that format at that time even, which put a squeeze on us as we tried to lean more more rhythmic and younger. Mm-hmm. And then you had uh, what was then Power 102 on the R&B hip hop side. So like we were really kind of squeezed in there, but it was important for us to take that lead at the time because that's where the culture was. Yeah. The most popular music of that time was rap. And most pop stations were pretty afraid of that still, uh, of embracing it fully. You're talking Nelly, Jay-Z, that era, right? Yes. Yeah. So all those Dr. Dre records, you know, the, the, the songs we've seen performed at the Super Bowl now <laughs> that are like... <laughs> for us old folks? Yes, that are essentially like our version of classic rock now. Oh. But those, those sounds were not as fully embraced by pop radio. Think of the year 2000, while we were out here playing Big Pimpin' in the next episode, which, you know, did okay at straight pop radio. You had the format embracing stuff like a Matchbox 20 and a Vertical Horizon, which, you know, are fine, but those aren't being played at the Super Bowl 20 years later. <laughs> you know, we, we, were, we were in the right place at the right time. That was also like peak TRL. Yeah. So you had Britney, Christina, Backstreet, and Sync, And again, we were embracing those younger acts in ways that I think mainstream CHR was not like... They would play certain songs a lot, but we would play all of them a lot and a lot more. For any music geeks who are listening to the podcast, and Matt's uh, music acumen is well-documented amongst the Alumni Association, he has a Spotify playlist for the summer of 1999 when he first took over. And what an incredible summer that was for pop music. I'll link to that in the show notes because it's when you look at all those songs that came out that summer, it was pretty incredible. It was such a gift to me as, as an incoming PD because it made my life a lot easier. I, I was not, I was not digging for hits. I mean, that was the summer of Ricky Martin. That was the summer of Backstreet Boys. I want it that way. Christina, Jeannie, the bottle had broken big at that time. It was the biggest song of the summer. Technically, I think Britney was on fire. So it, it was, it was so easy to program the station then. And program the station, you did very well, but also in your time as an alum, you have come back and come up over the summer, come back at off times and help train future generations of programmers on the concepts and the programs of music scheduling, which I think is to your credit as well. Well, and that's one of those things where I don't want to overstep my bounds for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm one of these like old alumni now who is fully 20 years removed. And, you know, you wonder how much students want to hear from somebody in my position, but, but also because I've been out of the music side of radio for 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And the guidance that I give the students is just kind of based on, you know, what my experience was managing old school DOS based selector at that time. And then kind of observing what's happening in the industry, which I still kind of keep an eye on. So when I build clocks for the station, which are still in place now, you know, my goal is to, you know, not have it be this hard and fast thing where you have to do things one way, but it needs to be a foundation that they can build on and one where it'll hopefully allow them to, you know, succeed, not just in the educational aspects of the station, but also succeed in the Syracuse marketplace. You know, and at, at the end of the day, we were always told you still have to play the hits. You still have to be relevant to the wider audience in Syracuse that goes beyond the hill. So I think what I've tried to do is strike a balance where, you know, the PDs can still leave their own imprint, certainly, but also be thinking about what's happening in the industry that's going to hopefully get you a job and also what's going to matter to the people who are listening, who are going to be there, you know, well after you're gone. And you want to make Z89 still a 
a brand that matters to people in Syracuse. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. So you mentioned being out of music for 20 years, Matt, which is hard for me to imagine because you're such a music guy. But after Syracuse, you transitioned over into news and had a pretty good run, if I do say so myself, in that realm of things. For those who don't know your story, kind of briefly take us through uh, where news brought you all over this great country of ours. I did radio news for 13 years. Um, After graduation, I went back to my hometown of Watertown and I worked at the news talk station there for a couple of years. Also doubled up and did some TV work at the uh, local CBS affiliate, WWNY. From there, it was back to Syracuse for a couple of years. And that was a different experience to be there kind of like as a grown up, as a 24 year old (laughs) and being out in the broader community in ways that I wasn't as a student. So I was at WSYR for two years went to WGY in Albany for two years, uh, was at KDKA in Pittsburgh for almost four, and then at uh, WNEW in DC for about three and a half years. What made you make the transition from music to news? The plan was always to do journalism. Um, I thought I was always gonna be a reporter. I had a conversation with a professor that I respected a lot at Newhouse, uh, Frank Courier, who was a former CBS correspondent. And he knew that I was doing the radio thing at Z89. He knew that I was, you know, a music guy at heart, but he told me that I think it's great that you have this passion and it's wonderful that you have this foundation in journalism. And I think that's going to take you farther than the music side, quite frankly. He, he advised me to stick with journalism if I wanted to do radio, because ultimately it was going to take me farther for a longer period of time. So that was a good bit of advice from him. And I was still able to dip my toe a little bit when I was at these various stations. You know, I, I would talk to the program directors of, say, Hall of Seven Nine when I was when I was at WSYR. We would talk about categories and rotations and how they do things there. I talked with program directors in Albany about how they did things. So and in Pittsburgh as well, too. So I, I got I got to dabble a little bit in each place. Still, I kind of kind of scratched that itch. This might be the shortest conversation I've ever had with you in knowing you for 25 years. Before I let you go, I want to ask you to recall a funny story or two that's, of course, appropriate for this podcast that sticks out in your memory uh, from your time at JPZ. Senior year, I attended um, press junket for the cinematic classic How High. (laughs) It starred... Red Man and Method Man. You may know them as the Wu-Jang Clan. And you say that like such a news reporter, by the way. Well, and, and, and that figures into the story. So how high was this story about these two buddies who smoked this magical marijuana? What made it so special was it had been fertilized by the ashes of their dead friend who had been cremated. <laughs> now, they smoked this marijuana. And what it does is it summons the ghost of their buddy who then gives them the answers to all of the uh, questions on their standardized tests that they're, that they're taking to get into college. <laughs> so 
they ace the exam and they get into Harvard. Spoiler alert, they get into Harvard and things go a little wacky. <laughs> so I'm attending the junket for how high. I, I That was the one only time I had ever done a junket for GPZ. And, and we didn't do a lot of those. I'm not sure how we got the access in that. Quite Where frankly. was it? Was it in Syracuse or LA? Or? It was in New York. Okay. I flew to New York City. They put me up in a hotel. And there were a whole bunch of radio stations there. Our, our own Dion Dion was there. I think he was still at WERQ in Baltimore at the time. So I get in the room. I finally get my, my five minutes with Red and Math. And I'm taking the whole thing way too seriously. <laughs> I am a senior broadcast journalism major. Like we are, we are doing journalism here. And it's not going great. Like the, the, the vibe is not right. They are upset, but they're just not into what I'm putting down. And eventually, I can't remember who it was who said this to whom. I can't remember if Red said this to Math or if Meth said this to Red. But one turns to the other, just mutters, oh, he white as hell. <laughs> and I didn't know what to say. <laughs> that was the point where I knew <laughs> it was time to go. And the, the whole thing I had taken way too seriously. So, you know, that was my exchange with Red Man and Method Man. I can imagine Professor Curry is standing behind you saying, I told you to do news. Yes. <laughs> when, when the interview eventually aired on Z89, that part was removed. <laughs> oh, see, I would have left it. I probably should have left it in. But, but again, in the spirit of taking the whole thing too seriously, <laughs> I thought, you know what? This probably should not air. Do you remember what some of the questions were you asked them? Oh gosh, it, it, it was it was way too existential. It was like, no, <laughs> I was like, people are saying that you could be the new, that you could be the next Abbott and Costello. What do you think about carrying on such a legacy of comedy in, in cinema? Oh boy, you know, like like that, that kind of. It, it was it was too heavy. It was just too heavy. This is a movie about magical marijuana. It ain't that serious, folks. And I didn't I didn't get that. It's been a recurring theme throughout this podcast that there are lessons we learned at JPZ that it was very good that we learned at 18, 19, and 20, and not 25, 30, 35, and later in our careers. And I would definitely say that example fits the bill, Matt. Tone is very important. <laughs> uh, Matt, it's been great having you on the podcast. Congratulations on your upcoming induction and very well deserved into the WJPZ Hall of Fame. I'm thrilled that we're going to all be there for you. And also, we're going to bring back some of our old crew to come see your big moment and we're very excited for that to happen uh, this spring. And thank you for coming on and doing the podcast. Class of 02 and adjacent classes, if you're listening, come on out. We would love to see you in Syracuse in March. And this was so much fun, Jay. Thank you so much. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.